Hey y'all, welcome to Cross Politic on the Sunday special. It is good to be with you. Knox and Toby are out of studio this week, so we are bringing you guys some fun content for this Sunday special. This, uh, um, If you missed our rally in South Dakota, one of the best things you missed about that rally, yeah, one of the best things you missed was comedian John Branion. He ended our rally after our big dinner on Saturday night with a great stand-up show. Well, uh, you aren't going to miss it now because what we're going to do is we're actually going to we're going to uh, give you access to the to comedian John Brandon's whole stand-up bit uh, for what he did at the rally in South Dakota. And and just so you know, we have another conference coming up in Nashville, Tennessee. Actually, Lebanon, Lebanon, Tennessee, uh, just outside of Nashville, uh, September 9th through the eleventh. So don't miss out what we're doing at these conferences. Don't miss out our next conference in September. Go sign up now if you're a club member. You can log into the club portal to get your club discount to our conference. Uh, we hope to see you guys there. we got Pastor Vody Bacham, Pastor Doug Wilson, uh, 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 David Bonson, Doug Tenaple, uh, Pastor Toby, and a whole group, a whole bunch of people coming in on Saturday to do SWAT talks. We're going to do kind of break out into SWAT talks and uh, I'm going to be leading a session with uh, some of the Canadian pastors uh, that will be hopefully shipping down from Canada on the uh, Underground Railroad uh, and everything. So that that is going on September and then of course download the app to be able to ca- catch a lot of what's going on on, on the network. We got other shows uh, on the network we don't want you guys to miss. So with that said, uh, you should be getting your magazine in the mail uh this week might have already gotten it but this coming week you should be getting your magazine in the mail and uh we look forward to being live back in the studio with our midweek fix on on wednesday so enjoy comedian john brandon on the fight laugh feast network that uh, standing ovation was another one for you wasn't it He's getting used to these standing ovations. Now he's insisting on them before he goes. Ah, oh, gosh, this, I, I'm telling you, this has been, uh, it, 2020 was a, was a uh, bad year for comedy <laughs> because uh, nobody had a sense of humor. And, and everybody was afraid to get together. You guys remember what it was like in the rest of the United States when nobody could get together? And, and, and that is really difficult to do live shows with. And so, so this is the first show that I have uh, the, one of the first shows that I've done in like 18 months. So I'm telling you that because it's, I want you to realize up front that it's not going to be uh, good. <laughs> um, but it's going to be, it's going to be fun for me. I, I am, I am one of you people. I, we have been on a, on a multi-year search in John Brannion headquarters for our tribe, you know, for our people who, people who I can go among them and I don't have to explain myself. Like, you already understand what I'm talking about. For example, I have done comedy in many, many different places. I've been a comedian for over 30 years. And so I've done cruise ships, I've done comedy clubs, I've done colleges, I have done, um, I have done hay wagons, I have done gazebos, and I've done church. I've been to to church to do comedy. Now, uh, how many of you guys are, are church people? Let me see some hands. Okay, not, not many on this side of the room. Did you notice that? There's, this is like the pagan side over here, but, you, but you're welcome. We're not going to jam our religion down your throat. You're welcome here with us. But you church people, you people are the only ones that will ask me this question. I don't get it at comedy clubs. I don't get it on cruise ships. I only get it at church. 
after I do a show at church, some church person will walk up to me and they'll say, do you think God has a sense of humor? <laughs> hmm? I'm like, well, I think he made church people. Heavens, yes, God has a sense of humor. Where did we get it? We didn't think up laughter. That wasn't our idea. That was given to us by a higher power that knew we were going to need it to get through life. Because he knew that we were going to have hardship. He knew we were going to have struggles. He knew we were going to get married. He knew stuff was going to happen. And so laughter is a gift. And that gift is manifest in every single one of you. God put something stupid in every single one of you that the rest of the world is supposed to laugh at. So when you cover up your stupidity, you are robbing people of a blessing. That's called a sin, you people on this side of the room. I think Christians should not only acknowledge the sense of humor, I think we should set the bar for the rest of the world and show them how to laugh. You agree with that? We should show the rest of the world how to laugh. Because we have the most stuff to laugh about. Because we get to spend forever in heaven with God. So none of this stuff matters. Everything that happens to us down here on the planet is kind of a joke. You know, our lot in life, the things that we get so worked up about, they don't matter. If you're a doctor down here on earth, there's no sickness, there's no disease in heaven. We don't need you. If you're a lawyer down here, you probably won't get to heaven. So, right. So lighten up, right? Even if you're a, even if you're a minister, even if you're a pastor, think about it. Toby, <laughs> in here. with Moses and the patriarchs, all the apostles, and Jesus up there, you think they're ever going to ask you to preach? <laughs> Sit down, Isaiah, Toby's going to share. <laughs> going to tell us what Paul said. This will be my last show here at the Five Eyes Food Network. Final show. Uh, so what I'm, what I'm saying is, my, simple, my very simple message is that God created humor, um, and he gave it to us as a sense. It's a sense of humor. It's the same way he gave us a sense of sight to be able to see things, and a sense of hearing uh, to be able to hear things, or in Gabe's case, half of the things. And... <laughs> He gave us a sense of touch. He gave us these senses so that we could uh, experience and appreciate the other blessings. And humor is just like that. He gave us a sense of humor. But Christian people have uh, got a really underdeveloped sense of humor sometimes. And it's sad. Because we are oblivious to the humor all around us. You know, Christian people get upset. We get offended about stuff. We can't do that anymore. Just acknowledge that... Just acknowledge that there's stupidity in us. Don't fight people when they say, man, you're stupid. It's like, I agree with you. Thank you for noticing. Because um, we say stuff all the time that we don't even think about. We say things like, we Christian people, we say, we're just here to introduce people to Jesus. We, we just want to introduce people to Jesus. 
And Jesus already knows everybody, doesn't he? I know how many hairs you have on your head, but I am not good with names. I heard a preacher say, God is moving here. God is moving here. I thought, wow, this must be a nice neighborhood. He lives in heaven, he's moving here. Your property value is going to skyrocket. Can you imagine having God as a neighbor? That would be awful, wouldn't it? I feel like he's always watching us. We put up a privacy fence that's doing nothing. Uh, this nice lady in church walked up to me recently, and if you're not going to church, this is why you should. It's for stuff like this. Uh, this is a tragedy with the, with the pandemic, is it like stopped this from happening. She walks up to me and she says, John, God is not finished with you yet. And I think she's probably right, but I do think he's done making improvements. You know, because I turned 50 a while back, and things are still changing, but they're not getting better anymore. It's like God is looking down every day going, all right, I'm not done with John yet. What can we do? I know, we'll push the veins in his legs a little closer to the surface. So when he wears shorts, it looks like an aerial map of Argentina. We'll take the hair off the top and jam it in his ears. Just... We'll shove some up his nose too. Why not? It's like I got two little car washes down there. You get that one long one that just grows straight out. You know what I'm talking about? It comes out and then it makes a right angle turn and just goes right at you. You can't see it in the mirror because it's just coming it gets longer and longer. I didn't even know it was there until the guy sitting in front of me at church started going like this. <laughs> then you pull it out and it's connected to every nerve in your body. <laughs> God is so uh, determined to put humor into our lives, that he has built it into our physiology. You know, he could have made us any way he wanted. You ever thought about that? God could have designed us any way that he wanted. And he did whatever you got going on. <laughs> he did that. Um, and it, he couldn't have been serious about that, right? It's a joke. But as much as you may be determined to try to stave off laughter, to keep it out of your life, it is eventually going to burst forth from you. That is God's will. Eventually you're going to sneeze, and there's no dignified way to pull that off. <laughs> Sneezes fall into several categories, basically. There's people like me, and you always know when I'm about to sneeze, because I give a big performance leading up to it. I'm like... <sighs> <sighs> And then it's gone, it just disappears. And I get dumber. But then I have a friend of mine that there is no warning when he sneezes. You're in the middle of a conversation and jeez. And then my sister, 
my, my baby sister Bonnie, when she sneezes, and it's usually just girls, it's usually just girls, you women that do this. There's a big buildup, and she goes, ha, 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 That cannot be good for you, ladies. You can't have ah without chew, that has to go somewhere. It's gonna wind up on your thighs. That's not cellulite, that's just unreleased chew. So many, so many stupid things that happen. You ever done this? Uh, any place where you have to be quiet, like during church, uh, or, or test of school? You ever, you ever choke on your own spit in the military? <laughs> Farts are funny. <laughs> I, know, I know, some of you disagree. I know you're like, no, they are not. And with all due respect to you proper people, you're wrong. They're proof that God has a sense of humor. They're not just funny, they're divinely funny. It takes the perfect mind of a benevolent God to think up a universal punchline like that. Think about it. You don't. Uh, it doesn't require any setup. You do not have to speak the language. And no matter how many times you have heard it before, you still laugh. That is genius. I picture God up in heaven after he made man, pretty proud of himself, brings the angels over. Hey, come here, you guys. Look at this. Look what I made. It's, it's man. Now, from time to time, gas is going to build up inside, have to come out. Uh, I could have had it float out through his pores. That's, that's what I did with the plants. <laughs> but I had a better idea. <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> oh, that is hysterical. What's that smell? I know, I thought that up too. That's so deaf people can appreciate them. Right? Jesus went around with 12 fishermen. Fishermen! You think they were sitting around campfires? Oh, excuse me. No, James and John were called the sons of thunder. my people. The other churches don't get that joke. <laughs> what does that mean? So you've got to see it in yourself first. That's, that's the crucial thing. You've got to recognize your own stupidity first. It is there and it is a beautiful thing that needs to be shared with the people that you love. People when they laugh at you. I didn't say with you. I said at you. When people laugh at you, they are lifting you up. They are esteeming you. They're not tearing you down. You want to be around people who make you laugh. You never hear somebody say, oh, that guy, he's hilarious. He cracks me up. I hope he doesn't come. <laughs> you want him right there with you. 
And when you're laughing with another person, it just means that the two of you are laughing at somebody else. <laughs> so be the person that is laughed at. Got members of my own family, beloved members of my own family, my mother who will say things to me like, like, I just want people to see me at my best. John, is that so wrong? I just want people to see me at, at my best. Is that wrong? Mom, we don't want to see you at your best. We want to see you fall down the stairs. That's, <laughs> right? We don't want you to get hurt, but we want to see you, you know. It's funny. Right? And it's not our fault that it's funny. That's the thing. People apologize for laughing. I've heard people, people have come up to me after show, I'm sorry, I was, I was so loud. I was, I didn't, I didn't mean that. They're embarrassed that they were laughing. We don't get to decide what's funny. God decides what's funny. All we do is discover it. Just like we don't get to decide what trees look like and we don't get to decide the properties of water. God does all of that. He also decided what's funny and he gave us a sense of humor to detect it. So we never have to apologize for finding something funny. We're just acknowledging the genius of the ultimate humorist. So, when we, uh, when we point out our own stupidity, we are basically acknowledging, hey, look at this great God who created me and gave us the ability to detect how stupid I am behaving right now so that we can all laugh about it. For example, you have all done this at some point. You've been driving down the road and you pass a semi-truck, right? You lean towards the window and go, That is fairly stupid. <laughs> Have you ever had a semi-truck pass you and go, <laughs> For some reason, we think we can just boss semi-drivers around. Like, we can just, just tell them what to do. We don't do that with other people. You don't pass the construction zone and look at those guys and go, You got to see it first in yourselves. And Christian people, um, be the ones who set the bar. Show the rest of the world. Don't be afraid to let people laugh at you. I was in a church uh, in northern Indiana. Where's my Hoosiers? They're not here. Great. All right. Uh, northern Indiana. And this church had a, little, had a little room that you went through before you got into the sanctuary. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? What do you guys call that room? Who, who said narthex back there? You said narthex. That's what they called it, too. I'd never heard that. He goes, you get that out of our narthex? And I'm like, I thought the narthex were hunted to extinction 100 years ago. <laughs> I thought we made coats out of their pelts, and they were all gone. Is that narthex? No, it's imitation vestibule. <laughs> The, the point is, this was inside the church building, and they were walking past it, I assume, hundreds of times and not noticing it. So I just pulled it off the table and showed it to them. It's the official bra drop-off location. <laughs> is this not intriguing to you people at all? 
the official, bro how many unofficial places have we been dropping them off? We have no idea what happened to them. If I was an atheist, I would go to this church. <laughs> Just to see what their choir looks like. But the key is you've got to see it in yourself first. You cannot laugh at other people until you know what's funny about yourself and then acknowledge it. You have to put yourself out there first as a target. And then once you are a target yourself, then you are demonstrating for the rest of the world that it's safe to laugh at them. You know? I've got uh, a house where I live. And uh, so <laughs> that was a great segue. Um, so if you guys live indoors, you're going to appreciate this story. <laughs> if you guys live under a roof with walls and everything, you're going to know right what I'm talking about. Uh, you know how in the middle of the night, if you hear a sound coming from inside your house, if you don't know the source of that sound, it kind of freaks you out. Uh, a little while back, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I heard this whistling coming from somewhere inside the house. So I nudge my wife to ask her to go look for it. <laughs> but she wouldn't go because she was asleep and she is pretty selfish when she's unconscious. So I had to go by myself. So I'm trying to find it just using auditory signals. And then when I got close, it sounded like it was moving. So I'm chasing it around in the dark for like 10 minutes. And then I finally realize it's this nostril. <laughs> now, I didn't have to tell my wife that story, but I did. And she put it on Facebook. That is how you put stupidity to good use. Stupidity kept to yourself is stupidity wasted. Put it out there. We had uh, uh, children. Um, we have four children. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But um, I have a whole bunch of idiosyncrasies. I have a whole bunch of flaws, if you'll call them that. Things that make me different from other people. But we all have things that make us different from other people. That's one of the things that we hate to acknowledge because we like to think of ourselves as normal people. And if you've ever said, oh, I just want to be a normal person, what do you mean by that? Because I don't know any normal people. And the people who are the closest to normal are the people that I never want to spend any time around because they're super boring. Normal people, there's nothing interesting going on with them. It's the freaks and the weirdos that, that I want to hang out with because they're, they're freaks and they're weirdos. So I try to acknowledge that there are things about me that make me uh, mockable. You know, I'm, I'm telling you these things so that I will be mocked for them. For example, I buy things from infomercials. I do. I buy stuff from infomercials. And, uh, but I'm not crazy, okay? I don't just 
willy-nilly buy stuff. I have rules. I have standards. Here's my rule. If your infomercial entertains me, I will buy your product. I do not care what it is. Now, some of the ladies in this room have bought the item that I am about to describe. You have bought this item, and you bought it for a man in your life. And you did it to, to demonstrate affection. You wanted to show him that you cared about him. So you bought him a Snuggie. Now, I will say this on behalf of that man. He did not want it. No man wants anything called a Snuggie. And they, and they actually make a camouflage, a camouflage Snuggie now. Who's that for? The guy in the duck blind? Hand me my shotgun. And my Snuggie. But the reason I bought a Snuggie is because of the half-hour infomercial that they advertise it with on television. First of all, it's a half an hour long. It's 30 minutes of instructions on a blanket with sleeves. 30 minutes. And it's some of the finest television that has ever been produced. If you haven't seen it, I will reenact it for you. It's, it opens uh, with a lady sitting on a couch. She's sitting on a couch and she's got a blanket, a regular old blanket. And the phone starts to ring on a table at the other end of the couch. And she is trying to cover up with the blanket and answer the phone at the same time. And the announcer's talking, are you tired of struggling with those blankets? If you are having trouble operating a blanket, you are going to get that Snuggie on backwards. That's called a robe. I, uh, I bought our last vacuum cleaner from an infomercial. And it's the world's most powerful vacuum cleaner. That is what they said on the infomercial. Those people have no reason to lie. <laughs> the show was on at 2.30 in the morning. That's when your best quality vacuum programming is on. In the you, can't, you can't catch it during prime time. You gotta stay up late like me and commit. <laughs> so it's 2.30 in the morning, I'm watching this vacuum show and the guy's running the vacuum all over the studio he's talking about it this is the world's most powerful vacuum look at the job it's doing picking up these quarters they had a stack of quarters on the floor they're just, ching, 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 just sucking them up and I'm at home going yes we've got so much money laying around on the carpet we have nothing to get cash out of the shag They picked up a bowling ball with a vacuum cleaner. I have been using those three holes in the top of mine. Like an animal. And have you noticed that no matter how powerful your vacuum cleaner is, there's always one little piece of white fuzz on the carpet, and you're like...
<laughs> if that had been a bowling ball, I'd have got it. <laughs> Our vacuum cleaner has a headlight on the front of it. Our vacuum cleaner has a headlight on the front. Who in the universe says, when the sun goes down? That's when we vacuum. <laughs> My wife was kind enough to explain it to me. She says, John, that light is there because you can't see dirt in the dark corners. <laughs> then why are we vacuuming it? Wouldn't it be easier to make sure company doesn't bring flashlights over to the house? <laughs> Problem solved. And the list goes on and on of, uh, of stupid things that I used to keep hidden, things I was afraid people were going to discover about me, and now I proudly share them so that you can point and jeer. Um, I, don't, I don't floss. <laughs> It's getting real in here now, isn't it? <laughs> Talking dental hygiene. And uh, I, don't, I don't floss. I think it's stupid. Um, I don't think it does anything. But the, the, only, the only time I will actually floss is like 10 minutes before I go to see my dentist. You know, and I'm just in there. This will work. They'll never know. But my dental hygienist is like the, the floss Nazi. She's always on me about it. Are you using your floss, John? Are you using your floss? Look at me. Look at me. Are you using your floss? And I always tell her, yes, I'm using my floss. I don't tell her it's to cut cake. <laughs> but she always gives me the same rigmarole about it. It's so important that you get way down in between the teeth. You've got to get way down in along the gums, in between the teeth. Like, that's the reason I don't floss, because I don't understand the process. <laughs> I'm like, oh, between the teeth. <laughs> I've just been looping it over this ear and sawing back and forth. so much blood. <laughs> My dentist uh, has an instructional DVD. I'm not kidding about this. He has an instructional DVD that he will loan to his patients that will tell them how to floss. A flossing DVD. If you need a DVD to tell you how to operate floss, I will bet that you don't know how to work a DVD player. <laughs> many magnitudes more complicated. So, uh, we had, we had uh, children, and uh, we, had, we had four of those, and that was, a, that was a learning experience, because I, when you get married, you know, you're, you're younger, well, actually, when you do everything, you're younger. <laughs> and, uh, I thought that when I got married, I, I knew that I didn't know anything, but I thought that I would learn things as I went. I thought that I would, that I would know stuff eventually if I stuck with it. But that hasn't, it hasn't worked out. We've been married 33 years, my wife and I, and I have learned, well, yeah, you should, you should wait and let me finish my thought. Um, no, it, it, but the, the, the marriage experience, I haven't learned anything. I haven't learned, I thought I would know the answers to questions. When I, when I got older, I thought I would learn the answers to questions. And I, I don't know the answers to questions. 
um, 32 years later. But here's the thing. She, after 32 years, continues to ask me questions. <laughs> so who's really the dummy? <laughs> who's the bigger dummy? Um, and that's what's fun for us, is to try to figure out which one of us is really the most stupid. She's always asked me questions, and I have never known the answers to them, because they're women questions. They're woman questions. They're questions that men don't, couldn't possibly know the answers to. They're deep, probing, philosophical questions, like, what are you thinking? <laughs> and I'm a guy. I'm thinking nothing. There's nothing, zero zilch going on up here and women don't believe me my wife doesn't believe me because you women can't think nothing that never happens when you when your minds are blank there's still billions of calculations flying through them angles being considered thoughts being processed and organized she's like a four gigahertz 256 terabyte file serving computer and I'm like the little solar calculator that comes free with cigarettes Just different. And I still go out with guys, you know, me and the guys will go out, we have coffee, we talk. Uh, never once have I ever said, hey Al, what you thinking? Because <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but we have a culture that doesn't understand that it's the differences in the relationship that make the relationship such a such a gorgeous thing. We don't understand that compatibility doesn't mean liking the same things at the same time, being in the same place, having the same feelings, saying the same words. That's not compatibility. That's shifting back towards you know, like normalcy and then boring. What's interesting, we're like jigsaw puzzles. You know, the pieces don't look anything alike, but they fit together to make the whole picture. And that's the, that's the relationship. And people fight with each other about the differences. You know, we've, I've got a lot of friends that tried to make it work, you know, tried marriage, and we just, and they say to me, we tried, John, we tried to make it work. We tried so hard. But you know what we discovered? We discovered that we were two different people. No kidding. If you're exactly the same, one of you would be unnecessary. <laughs> and maybe that's what marriage is. Maybe it's the two of you spending your whole lives together trying to figure out which one of you you don't need. <laughs> uh, the answer is you need them both, but they don't understand it. You know, They also say things to me like my friends who are not married anymore. They say stuff like, marriage is just so hard. It's just so hard. It's hard. Lord. Like, yeah, if it was easy, you wouldn't have to take a vow to keep doing it until one of you dies. <laughs> that should have tipped you off right at the start, Sparky. Uh, you don't have to vow to keep eating sugar, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't have to vow to do the hard stuff. But if you stick with it, and this is the secret that we know because God reveals what marriage and relationships and family are for. He reveals it to us. So we know this and they don't. What we know is that the process of going through all of that friction, all of that suffering, um, produces character and character produces hope. Um, they don't know that. 
But my version of that is the suffering produces perseverance and the perseverance produces great stories later on. <laughs> great stories, you know, stories of, of suffering and intense combat that you have done with the people that you love and they're fascinating. Those are the stories that everybody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear about success. Everybody wants to see us fall down the stairs. So remember that, you know. Think about it, you got two videos that you could watch. You got a video of a person getting a diploma, walking across the stage getting a diploma, or you got a video of a person getting hit in the crotch with a football. <laughs> Which of those are you gonna share? <laughs> exactly. People wanna see the failures, because in the failures there's something, uh, there's something that resonates. You know? So don't be afraid, don't be afraid when you're, when you're having conflict. When you're having conflict, it's gonna be a great story later on. We had, uh, uh, my, my family my, on my wife's side owns lakefront property. And is there anybody here that owns lakefront property before I go any further? Um, any of you lakefront people? Nobody? Good, we're safe. Oh, right in front? No? You do? You guys have a speedboat? No, okay. You have what? A jet ski? Not, well, you're safe. Because um, I would never stereotype, ever. But it's been my experience the people who own lakefront property tend to be the people who own speedboats. And it has further been my experience that everybody who owns a speedboat, not to stereotype, is a psychopath. Because they're all like my, Lori's, uh, my wife's Uncle Jack, who uh, we had the family reunion at his place a few years ago, and Jack had a brand new speedboat that he was excessively proud of. And so as we were all arriving at the reunion, Jack was standing down on the end of the pier next to the boat, insisting that we all come and look at it, because it was a beauty. Hey, hey, old Jack got a new speedboat this year. There she is, beauty of the boat. You ain't never seen a boat quite like this. She's a beauty. She's an absolute beauty. I looked the boat up, it's Bass Tracker Magazine. Bass Tracker Magazine. And you know what Bass Tracker said about this boat right here? It's a beauty. If I was to pick one word to describe this boat, I would pick the word. I didn't think anyone was even listening anymore. B-U-T-Y. Come here, John. Take a look at that boat. What do you think? That's a beauty, Uncle Jack. You bet she is, boy. She'll do 600 miles an hour. Hop in. I'm going to teach you how to ski. So I jumped into the boat next to Jack. Uh, my brother-in-law has come charging down the hill. They're all excited. Come on, get in the boat. He's going to teach John to ski. <laughs> It'll be fun to watch. He's probably going to die. Out we go, Jack driving, wide open. And since I'm brand new to the whole boat experience, Jack is shouting stuff at me as we zoom along, so I won't be a scared. Those are just waves, John. Don't be a scared. Those are lily pads. Nothing to worry about. That was a sailboat. Uh, now, into that scenario with a lunatic behind the wheel, 
They stop the boat. They throw two skis. I figured the homeschoolers were counting. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, and the skis are one size fits all. Remember that. It's going to be crucial to the story. And then they throw me out in the lake. At that point, everybody in the boat jumps to their feet and just starts shouting at me. Random pieces of helpful advice for how to ski. Which sounds like... Decapitated. Dismembered. Paralyzed. It basically boils down into three, three rules. One, you have to keep your arms straight out in front of you. Two, you have to keep your knees close together. And three, the first two things are impossible. I take hold of the rope, Jack guns the boat. The skis, one size fits all, are gone. They're, they're way back there. I'm face down. And there's no helpful advice like, hey, let go. And I discovered that the human nose will hold two and a half gallons of lake water when it is properly inserted. So after I fell, they made a big circle in the boat, came around, Jack threw me the rope. I opened my, I, uh, everybody, on board the, everybody on board the vessel was real encouraging, right? Because they're my family and they were rooting for me to get up and try again because they wanted to videotape the next spectacular crash. <laughs> so they're like, hey, that was pretty good, John. That was pretty good. We were all talking. All of us were talking. We think with just a little bit of practice, you are going to be a fine skier. <laughs> Shut up. He can hear you. Let me give you a little bit of advice this time, Scooter. You take hold of the rope. This time when Jack pops you up out of the water, you just stay squatted down on the skis. This will change your life. Hanging on as long as you need to until you're comfortable enough that you can stand up straight. So I take hold of the rope. Jack guns the boat. And I discovered that I have another opening in my body. <laughs> that will hold more water than my nose. <laughs> when it's properly inserted. Jack makes a big circle, comes around. They throw me the rope. I opened my mouth so I could scream, get me out! You could see the tag from my swimming trunks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they were not Speedos when I put them on. <laughs> so, 
never been a tremendously gifted athlete. It's never good at sports. Um, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of men's and boys self-esteem when you're younger comes from your ability to compete, you know, and put on some sort of physical demonstration of your worth. And I just was never really good at it. I uh, um, I was in a split gym class when I was in high school, which is seventh graders or in junior high when I was seventh graders and ninth graders, seventh graders and ninth graders together in the same gym class. It's like putting like putting the Marines and a bunch of Hello Kitty together on the same <laughs> obstacle course. And uh, I do one impression. This is an impression of, do you guys remember dodgeball? You guys, is it legal? Is that legal in South Dakota? Is it? You know, you're just humoring me, aren't you? You have no idea. Oh. All right, this is an impression of me playing dodgeball in, uh, in junior high. <laughs> So I, uh, I joined the chess club when I was in junior high. <laughs> That'll get you the chicks. Chess club. A lot of people don't know that. Chicks don't know that. Uh, but I found out a thing about chess that I, they didn't know before. They have a type of chess called correspondence, correspondence chess. And it's chess through the mail. Opponents will set up boards like on opposite sides of the country and then mail their moves back and forth one at a time. Which I guess is for people who think regular chess just moves too fast. <laughs> Can't keep up with the frenzied pace. If you're going to play a game through the mail, it should be a game that's already got some action built into it. Don't you think? Twister would be fun through the mail. <laughs> Somebody bring me a stamp! Uh, I tried golf and I'm not good at golf. I don't know if uh, any good golfers here, anybody want to fess up to being a, a decent golfer? You're pointing, are you a good golfer? What's your handicap? Like 10? That's, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm not good. You know how you go into the pro shop ahead of a game of golf and buy all your equipment, like balls and tees and stuff like that? Well, the guy in the pro shop recognizes me. So when he sees me coming, he goes and sits in back of the golf cart so he can sell me stuff as I go from hole to hole. Because <laughs> every tee, I'm like... <laughs> Sploosh! Great. Can I get another five iron? Thanks. <laughs> Uh, the, part, the part about golf I do like is a handicap, because a handicap allows bad golfers and good golfers to play together at the same time and actually compete sort of fairly. I think there should be a handicap in all of life. I think there should be a social handicap on men that are too tall, too good looking, or make too much money so I can compete with them. Like guys like that shouldn't be able to drive whatever car they want. That is not fair. They should have to walk into the dealership and the dealer would say, how tall are you? 6'2", blue eyes, sandy brown hair, sweet beard. <laughs> <laughs> it's just for Knox. Um, 
cleft in chin. I'm sorry, sir, with handicap, best I can put you in is a 78 Vega. <laughs> Negative fair. Uh, so it's about family, it's about being, um, being self-aware of yourself to know that you have, uh, that you've got stupidity and it's not a bad thing, it's a God-given thing. And that's not to say that you don't work on your flaws. That's not to say that you don't work on the sin in your life. It's to say that you have idiosyncrasies. And when you do boneheaded things and dumb things, rather than hiding from it, and rather than getting mad at people for catching you doing it, you can celebrate it. Um, my own dear mother was a person who is one of the funniest people that I've ever met in my life, is my mom. Um, not always on purpose, uh, which just makes it better. Uh, but my mom was always willing and is still willing to let us uh, laugh at her for things that she has done throughout the years. And for example, when I was in high school, my room was at the top of the stairs and around the corner. So you could not see into my bedroom from the foot of the stairs. And so one afternoon, my mom was standing down there calling up to me and she goes, John? Yeah, mom. Are you still here? <laughs> nope, leave a message. My mom was driving my brother and I to school one day. We were seven or eight years old in the back seat of the car. And I promise you, this is a true story. A squirrel hops out in the road like a quarter mile in front of her. And my mom sees this as an opportunity to teach her boys something that's going to be useful to us later in life. And she goes, oh, there's a squirrel. Boys, pay attention. Listen to me. This is important. When you get your driver's license and you start driving, you never swerve to avoid an animal because he will get out of my way. Just flattened him, just mushed him. Before we got to school, there was a crossing guard in the intersection, and my, my brother and I are yelling, Move! That's <laughs> my mom. My mom had all of these phrases that she would use over and over. And some of you use these same phrases because you're moms, it's in your DNA, you can't help it. Um, if there was more than one way to accomplish a task, my mom would say this, well, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> mom, how do you know that? <laughs> super creepy. If she didn't want to stay out late at a party or something, she would say this, I don't want you staying out at that party till the last dog is hung. I'm going to come home after they hang the first dog. What kind of party do you think I'm going to? It's youth group. We're not Methodists. She also didn't want to stay out until the cows came home. She would tell us that. I don't want you staying out until the cows come home. Mom, I've lived here my whole life. Cows have never come home. I don't think they know they live here. Or they might have seen what you did to the cat. Cows are not stupid. 
If we'd ever leave the front door open, she would lose her mind. You left the front door open. Were you born in a barn? I don't know. You were there. <laughs> Seems like you'd write a detail like that in the baby book. That's in case the cows come home. We <laughs> they can't work a doorknob with their cloven hooves. We'd never lose anything. My mom would come in and tell us all about snakes. Like if I couldn't find a sweater, she'd march in. Your sweater is right there. If it had been a snake, it'd have bit you. If it had been a snake, I wouldn't have been looking for it. That's the reason we never lose them. I can't find my snake. I found it. It was coiled up under my sweater. But my favorite mom phrase is, uh, is this one, and I think it's as unique to Nancy Brandian. If you have heard this phrase, let me know for my research, my memoirs. If something was difficult to do, if it was hard to do, mom would say this, that is harder than nailing jello to the wall. And I have no idea how she determined how difficult that task is. <laughs> Probably after Thanksgiving one year, we got a lot of jello left over. There's not a lot of room in the fridge. <laughs> Whew, that is hard to do. Uh, so, all right, any questions? Any questions so far? I'm gonna wrap this up. We gotta million things to do in Rapid City tonight. Where do you live? <laughs> yeah, I live in Kokomo, Indiana, so I know Metropolis when I see it. <laughs> Moo. <laughs> um, so let me see. I, I, uh, I wanted to tell you guys that uh, I, I joined the joined the network because um, I I want to be uh, I want to be part of what you guys have got going on. I want to be part of this uh, this movement of fighting and feasting and defying tyrants and all of that stuff. It uh, it it's important to me to be um, part of a of something that's bigger than me, and that's what's attractive about being one of God's kids. I mean, you don't get much bigger than God, and, uh, and he knows my name, and that blows my mind, and he knows your name, too. And we have the blessing of, in this dark and tumultuous time, to be able to gather together and actually laugh at what's going on, because we're going to be okay. I mean, it doesn't, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I know that we're going to be okay because we've been promised by the person who invented gravity that we're going to be okay. And so it's exciting. And so here's the goal. We've got a, a podcast. My daughter and I do a, do a podcast. It's called The Comedian Next Door. And the reason we called it that is because we want to be your next door neighbor. We want to be the guy that you can come over and borrow hedge clippers or, or a cup of sugar. Um, and, and I'm a resource for, for humor. That's what I want to do. I want to be, I want to be your guy. I want, to be, I want to be when you hear somebody talking about a comedian that they've seen and they're sharing that with you. I want you to be able to say, 
well, you should check out this guy. This is John Brandon. And then I want you to say, I know him. He's my brother. That's what I want you to say. I want, to be, I want you to be able to say, this is what God created. It's, if you think this is funny, then let me introduce you to the one who thought up funny. That's what I want to do. So I had a request from, uh, where's, where's the guy who made a request for the three little pigs? Is he still here? Little guy comes up to me, didn't get his name. It wasn't you. <laughs> no, it wasn't you. Well, anyway, he comes up, he goes, would you do the three little pigs? And I said, if you request that I do the three little pigs, I'll do the three little pigs. And she said, okay, I want to request. So I'm going to do, I want to demonstrate how serious I am about this. So you asked me to do the three little pigs, I'm going to do the three little pigs. So here it is. Here it is. Now, uh, a little while back, I, I did some research and I discovered that um, the active vocabulary in the United States, the number of active words that the average person has in their vocabulary is like uh, 3,000, like 3,000 words in our active vocabulary. Shakespeare, who wrote in the 16th century, had an active vocabulary of 50,000 words that he had access to. That's why when we read Shakespeare now, we're like, uh, what lie through yonder and let's just put in a DVD. I don't pay for cable so you kids can sit there and read. And I started thinking about it. I started thinking about little kids in the 16th century. Those kids probably had a bigger vocabulary than I have now because they were just exposed to that language. They were raised on that language. Which means I am not smart enough now to read fairy tales to 16th century children. Because they would have a bigger vocabulary. Children's books would be out of my reach in the 16th century. Can you imagine what their fairy tales were like? It would be like... <clears throat> In time past, though not long ago, there lived pigs in stature, little, in number three, who, being of an age both entitled and inspired to seek their fortune, did set them out to do thusly. <laughs> when they had traveled a distance, pig numbered first spake, saying, Hearken, brethren, heed this tempestuous realm. Tarry we long from hearth and home. We shall fare, I fear, not well. <laughs> And so, being collectively agreed, but individually impelled, the diminutive swine set about each to erect for himself an abode. Pig numbered first did construct his house from straw. Pig numbered second did likewise, though rather not from straw, instead from sticks. Meanwhile, unique in his imagining, pig numbered three did erect as his domicile stalwart and garish, a structure made from brick entirely. Ah, but soon there happened along, as is frequently the scenario in classic tale of protagonist pig or red-hooded child. A wolf, carnivorous nature in full season, he called out to the straw-ensconced swine, saying, Pray thee, little pig, grant me entrance. But pig one recalled with sage foreboding that he is mad who trusts in the tameness of a belly-pinched wolf and responded immediately, Nay, it shall not be, indeed, not by wit or whisker jowl. To this most expected response, the wolf replied immediately, Then steal thyself, little pig. Forthwith shall I endeavor, employing means both huffing and puffing, to dismantle yon flaxen fortress. 
whereupon there issued forth from the wolf an exhale of gale proportions that quickly rendered straw hovel to dregs and dross and carried aloft piglet and shattered quarters both. Exposed now to claw and fang, piglet one made haste, wolf in pursuit to the stick festoon sanctum of peccary secondary. causing pig two to cry out in dismay well this knots my knickers the marshalling of feral wolf to my doorstep is nowhere among those endeavors amenable or congenial a thousand pardons begged one it would seem the beast's baneful breath hath purged me of home and sound judgment alike the malevolent blast of the wolf's exhale splattered second swine's shacket shortened his sanctimonious scolding simultaneously. <laughs> Lo and behold, squealed two, stand we now amid wooden wreckage, tremulous and vulnerable, with nary a strategy for eschewing the canine devourer looming in deadly proximity. Strategy, exclaimed one, while tis noble the contemplation of tactical particularities, pressed as we are with time restraints, forbidding detailed strategical conversation, I would urge we run. Whether by their own fleet-footed competence or the wolf's windless attitude, the bantam porkers arrived at their ultimate kindred neighbor's inexpugnable brick ingress unscathed. Upon the third pig's door with urgent hooves they pounded, calling out, Unbar this entrance and with haste we beseech thee! The third pig hailed from the American colonies. Possessing a vocabulary substantially less robust than his impromptu visitors, replied, Say what? <laughs> Seek we sanctuary, they implored on the verge of hysteria, lest we fall forthwith to the ravenous appetency of yonder approaching carnivore. Still confounded by their importunate words, Pig Three did render ajar his portal, whereupon one and two spilled through and collapsed beyond his threshold, enervated. So y'all just wanted to come in? <laughs> Why didn't you say that? Hiss of the wolf could be heard. Pray thee, pigs, grant me entrance. The wolf said one and two. Wolf said three. What do you suppose he wants? He seeks to gain purchase within. Indeed, he would occupy this very alcove, for he but afforded the most meager of opportunity. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to go ask him what he wants. Under no circumstances, squealed too, flinging self against portal. There is naught to be gained accosting external opponent, save our own immediate demise. What did you say about my mama? <laughs> House and occupants were again engulfed in a malevolent blast of wolfish wind. The foundation shook, the frame rattled, and low to the astonished eyes of piglets and encroaching scoundrel alike stood the third pig's lodging undaunted. Aghast and befuddled, two queried of three, 
How does against such relentless and torrential onslaught this domicile endure? Pig three puffed out chest, tapped a hoof to the hearth, and responded, It's American made. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed comedian John Brandon. We had such a great time at the rally in South Dakota, and we hope to see you guys in September, September 9th through 11th. Go to fightlaughfeast.com to register. Comedian John Brandon will be out there doing a SWAT talk uh, along with uh, a number of our hosts from our network. We'll see you in September. Download our app. Until next time, love God and go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics.